I'm Dan Broskell. And I'm Dave Geller. And we are the co-hosts of What Do We Know? What Do We Know is a free-range podcast dealing with wellness, education, sports, personal stories, and more from two guys who know a lot about certain things, but not a lot about others. Your hosts are Dan Broskell, a longtime educator, compulsive runner, and father of five. And Dave Geller, a pediatrician with three kids and an amazing Maine accent. All right, good afternoon. It is Saturday evening. The sun sets here in Lexington, Massachusetts, over Route 128. I'm Dan Broskell here with my good friend Dave Geller. And Dave, who is our long-awaited guest today? He is long-awaited. So long-awaited, we actually came out of hibernation during COVID-19 to get him on on the on a front lawn outside, six feet apart, socially distanced, masks askew. Dr. David Landis is in the house. Hello, everybody. David Landis. It's an honor to be here. If I, if I had four hands, I could count the number of times your name has been dropped in episodes 1 through 25. So to have you here for a good hour is a real treat, I think, for us and for our listeners. Uh, Dave Landis, give us the, the three-sentence summary of your life from age zero to today. Grew up in White Plains, New York. School, University of Chicago. Uh, youngest of uh, three. Kate left... Chicago back to SUNY at Stony Brook for medical school, then up to Boston and Massachusetts General to train in pediatrics where I met David Geller. And that's pretty much been the apotheosis of the whole thing. Apotheosis. That's a big word. But then you ended up in from the South End into Lexington, right? So uh, then we lived in the South End and then moved out to Lexington to be like Jen and Dave. And who's the we that we're just Uh, classify the we here for a second? My beloved wife, Becky Landis. Becky Landis. Little known fact, our first pediatrician. And uh, as I think I mentioned before, we kind of snuck in. We had never met her. But someone said, oh, we have a great pediatrician. And our first son was born a month early. And we just listed her as a pediatrician. She goes, hi, I guess I guess she came to the hospital. I guess, that I, I guess this is hi, my um, patient. I'm Dr. Short Straw Landis. <laughs> <laughs> you got me. And I think she went on to maternity leave pretty soon after with uh, with, with your youngest there once, uh, once uh, our oldest came around, if I'm not mistaken. About a year into it, right? A little big Ruth. Might have been Millie then. No, it was, no, it was Baby Martin. Or baby Martin? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so oh, baby, baby Martin. Baby Martin. Baby Martin. Martin's Martin. probably not taller than all of us together. How tall is, is uh, six, six, six feet, six one. Six one, so he's right. And how, Dave, yeah. you're six-ish. I'm 5'11-ish, I think. What about 5'11. you, Landis? Six. six. Landis can dunk, you know. <laughs> I can dunk. I can dig Oreos. I dunk Oreos. I dunk I'm looking at his calves right I, I now. I dunk you. I dunk my bread and butter in my coffee every morning. That's what I dunk. He's been yeah. in the plyometrics there over there, uh, you know, above uh, Route 2. Landis stays fit. He's been through, we talk about workouts a lot. He's been through a lot of um, different workouts. I think I think your your most recent one that I'm aware of was the was the New York Times, the seven minute. I'm a I've been off that for a long time, but started up again during COVID. The seven minute or the now fourteen minutes. It's really good stuff. Yeah, he's also he, Wait, hold on. Yep. What does that mean? So it's it was the first uh, hit the hit, high yep, yeah, sure. hit routine, yeah. and it got published in the Times eight or ten years ago, and it's. Uh, 12 bodyweight exercises you just do for 30 seconds, 10 second yep. break, jumping jacks, push-ups, stuff you ex- and then I'm amazed, I mean, it's not going to get you winning, you know, marathons, yep. but it makes you feel like you've exercised, you sweat, um, 
Well, I got to tell you, it's good. Someone, someone here and is still pretty skinny. I think he's the skinniest of the three of us. So I, I think he must that. be working. Yeah, I don't think lean muscle. Uh, his calf's not as big that's as yours and mine. Case. And you so. still swimming? Aren't you a swimmer also? No, no. He's a run. Run. He, he goes running with his dog Cosmo, yeah. who is like a yeah. what kind of what kind of the dog German is that? German Shorter Pointer. Exactly, because tight. Is that, that, and that dog runs and runs yeah. after animals and yeah. tackles live deer. I discovered this morning <laughs> new trails here in Lexington. It was great. Ooh, tell me about that. Wait, 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 wait. First of all, yeah, name a trail and see. If Roscoe has not run on it, easy. Go. go. No, well, he's uh, not a master. So this Hayden spring. Woods. Yep. Dunbow, Dunbro Meadow, Dunbarrow. I don't. Even, I don't know the names of them. Dunbow Meadows. <laughs> Dunbow. Dumbo Meadows. Disney, I don't know. Disney Plus on the brain. Anyways, I ran for like two hours this morning, and it was great all around Lexington. What? That's a long run. You ran for run. two hours? Yeah, I got a little oh, come lost. come on. Yeah, now you're just showing uh, us up. That's nice. No, I'm not, because you guys have I'm shoulders. I've been running in a long time. My COVID-19 <laughs> just doubled. <laughs> um, I did a trail in Lexington the other day. It, was, it starts over by, um, it goes like from one golf course to the next, you know I'm talking about? Like, it's like Poor Farm, mm. and then goes to like Meagerville. Right there. there is no Meagerville in Lexington. There's that a Meagerville no. conservation area. There certainly is. It goes, and it goes, I think it was right before Pine Meadows. It goes into the woods, and there's a nice little bridge and water. You can laugh at me, Dave Geller, but I was there. It no, was it's great. the Meager. <laughs> it's, it's the refurbished and you know vinyl siding. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think Rob Cohen is buying Meagerville and going to put a house up on it. <laughs> is it sponsored by Rob Cohen? <laughs> no, that's all, he's getting, that's all the play he's getting today. The, uh, that's been one good thing about uh, COVID. I think people have... People have uh, maintained and built up trails. For they sure, they started sure. their own trails. No, no, so, so another thing that, that so Landis was P ninety X or two. You did that I whole did that years ago, way back oh when. Gosh. But that was one round. It was probably the best shape I've ever been in, and that ended. It was interesting. It was great, but then it was like two or three months after stopping that, it like went back to my I think baseline, it. narrow shoulders, big hips. <laughs> you're like a you're like a bowling a, a bowling pin with a yamaka on. It's a pair. Um, no, <laughs> no, no, my pair physique. No, I think you still have my disc. So give them back. <laughs> another, another. I'm just gonna keep throwing out little known facts or maybe well known facts about David Landis. Is he's actually a, he is a very good athlete. So that's why the, the mm. running, the P90X, the seven minute workout. Actually, we're getting you know we're, we're going from the from the larger to the smaller. He's you know I played golf with you a few times and you. you I haven't. I've, we've played golf. A w- once or twice since I became a parent 22 years ago. Yeah. And Natu- once with Natural you. swing. And then we played that one-on-one and you t- dunked on me. <laughs> that never happened. <laughs> no, um, so that was the fun thing about playing soccer. I started playing soccer because I was such a slow kid. I never made any team. But it turns out all everyone else slowed down, so now they think I can run, which is great. That was my experience. As everyone's sort of gotten fatter and out of shape, I've kind of maintained this nice sort of medium fitness. And I'm like, hey, I'm in better shape than you and you and you. Um, have you so guys have you guys played soccer in the same field before? No, I, I didn't know you were so. a soccer player. I think at this point it'd be embarrassing because like, I'm not very good. So I was, as you know, I was getting back into soccer right when the shutdown hit. And I played out indoors and outdoors a couple of times in March. And then I'm like, hey, I'll get back into that. And then there are a so couple of really nice soccer communities here in Lexington. Yeah. I used to play at Dawn over there at Lincoln, you know, yeah. with some of those guys. Like, yeah, that's... Like that, Jonathan Bernays, for example. That was a yeah, lot of fun. Yeah, he is not as much, but that's... The, I yeah. started playing with them, and it's a really great group of people. I think Jonathan plays in hiking boots, though, right? He's pretty tough. He, he is looks tough. like a grizzly bear, that He guy. is a grizzly he's, bear. He's, he's, he still plays on the team. He, um, he's like over he 16. Is, he's the guy that if you, if you were stranded in a mountain somewhere... You know, and you had nothing. He would pop out behind <laughs> a tree. Sasquatch. And he, but he would be able to sustain you. He'd be like, you know, naked and afraid. He could. I mean, well, you know like that is complete. Kyle Johnson. You guys. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Kyle Johnson is a wilderness expert. Really? Yeah. Wilderness expert. No, he's a survivalist. 
He's a survivor. I don't know if that's the right phrase, but he knows all about uh, living. We should make a list of people that we know who could be on our island. Well, um, I think we bring and, uh, Dave Landis for the just for the smoke. Well, you have yeah. yeah so that was, was a, my that was when I got mentioned. That was, there was a big that was thread out of my life. There was a big thread though on on Facebook that someone brought up that they were going to be stranded on an island. They would want not Dan Brosco or Dave Geller, but maybe Brian Cutler because he can chop hard. Cutler would chop over his teeth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was, he's a beaver, and he didn't even Dave Landis because he would just he would just you know cook. You know, coconuts into the most beautifully smoked something. You know. All right. So talk about talk about the smoking situation, Landis. What what's what's happening over there? Uh, when did that start? The sa- same pause as the first episode. <laughs> the um, I have always loved cooking over uh, real wood. So actually, uh, so I took a year between my third and fourth year of medical school and did medical ethics and actually had a catering company, and it was called the Grills of Magendi and it was all over. Uh, over a barbecue, right? Because Dave knows who Magenta is, <laughs> <laughs> and the uh, I just love cooking with natural wood. Yep. So the most recent best thing was I made this tuna. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. there's a tuna pastrami that was really really good. I'll so me. hold up, what, what what does that mean? Like no one here, I've never even heard of tuna pastrami. So do you just take a big like hunk of Big hunk tuna, of big hunk of tuna. You buy at the seafood right. counter, um, and you bring it home. And like, what do you do? You know? So you have to salt it. You brine it, yep. and that you just let it sit in salt and sugar and some spices for a couple days. Yep. Rinse it off. Let the salt kind of equilibrate, and then for this, I built a cold smoker, which was the first time I've ever done that. Those, uh, seem, those terms seem like they're so what, contradictory, in some right? Fashion. So if you have good locks, like yep. good, you. If the temperature gets above, I think it's like 97 or 100, it cooks so it gets that uh, uh, opaque looking. Yep. Like you can get hot smoked salmon, that's really good. Yep. Um, but to have lox still, it's you're getting the smoke in but not cooking it. So we had a uh, grill, like my regular Weber burning charcoal, and then I got some dryer venting and went from the dryer vent, caught that smoke, and went into another oh. smoker. That was one of the highlights oh, of my life. That sounds really it good. Like something from, um, like, uh, from Lost in Space. Lost in Space, yeah. The ro- that Danger Will Robinson. It's, it's quite the contraption. So but I will say, but before we leave Salmon, if we're going to a little... We're not going anywhere from Salmon. One, little known facts. One of my favorite David Geller moments is there's a moment after dinner when he'll have it eaten responsibly <laughs> and pick here. No, I don't want to eat a whole lot. And the one's just like... The Wait, t- that's Dave who said I'm not going to eat a lot? Yeah. <laughs> okay. You know, and his, what, did, what do you guys call it? Intermittent fasting that you guys talked about a couple weeks ago this was and then the table starts getting cleared and he'll get up and he'll eat chunks of salmon like their potato chips and it's just a beautiful thing it is the it is one of the most gratifying moments as a chef like popcorn salmon i tell you i I, I like to eat and (laughs) eating at the landis's and becky's a wonderful becky's a great as is my wife jen and i'm sure elizabeth is as well but dave landis's um his cooking skills are really something to behold. You know, he he. When you make a chicken or a turkey or a piece of meat, it's really like I try not to eat too much, but you just can't help. Of course, Samantha Shevitz doesn't doesn't hurt. Right. You know, oh, to, to precursor that. But but, um, but that's because we do that so ri- no pun intended. Rarely, like we only meet a few times a year. Yeah, like but what we, you make? But I mean, when we do it, make. like we just go to town. So that mean, I, I've been 
I've toyed with the idea of making pastrami a few times. So I it make just it, takes a long time. It does. So how, how many like when you make it? How many steps are you? T- and how how much are you like brining and then waiting? So you know? pastrami Is it really a week long process. Two two and a half weeks. Two and a half weeks. So we wow. I make pastrami for yep. the high holidays every yep. year, and so you brine, you get brisket. You can buy already corned beef. Yep. Um, which means salted, but you get a brisket, you soak it in salt, and that's really about a week. Wow. And, and then in the, f- in the fridge, right? You just put it in, in the fridge, yeah. yeah. Then it has to rest for a couple of days, so the salt kind of moves different things. And then you put the spices on, let that sit for a day or two, and then smoked for a good long, kind of like a day. That's hot smoked. But it's really That's in good. tin foil, right? You wrap in What's tin, that? Do you do it in the tin foil, or do you, or do you not? That uh, is not. Okay. So going back to you know Davis is one of his favorite stories about me. One of my favorite stories is sitting next to Dave Landis during Yom Kippur, during the twenty-six <laughs> hour fast we're doing, yeah. and sitting there, you know, haven't eaten or drinking for you know for a good you know probably over eighteen hours. And I looked at him and I said, "You smell like a smoker. You smell so good. I just want to bite you. I mean, it's just not fair. <laughs> I'm sitting next to you. Wait, did he bring his like? No, he, s- he just smelled like the, the he's, you know, he's the always afternoon. grilling and smoking, and he just it permeated it permeated his I think pores. Your mom was playing tricks on you. There, oh buddy, my god! Yeah, yeah, and then he turned into a big thing of water. <laughs> like, he tried to salivate. It was like a Landis mirage. Right. <laughs> there was his brisket with a talus on it. <laughs> Wow. Well, th- this is a great intro to to this to your relationship and and to the culinary arts but, over there. And uh, but so, how do you guys know? I actually, this is, I, it's okay. I don't know how you guys met. How do we, so, I mean, I know this Brandeis connection. So coming back to to Becky Landis. Yeah. When we left Arlington and moved to Bedford, she goes, "Oh, like when you move to Bedford, we'd still love to see you in Arlington. Yeah. Or you can go to Dave Geller. You really like him, and he married us. We're like, what? Um." So for the first six months or so, we actually did shuffle back and forth to Arlington to see Becky, but that's not an easy drive, you know, from Bedford, especially with traffic. So we ambled over, literally across the street to David's old practice, and went to an open house with about forty other folks. And um, and you were late, and we were we were definitely late. I remember it very well. And uh, as I think I've said before, like it, it was it was fine. Like parents were nervous about vaccines, and you're like. We're very pro vaccine, and I said, "Great, makes sense to me." <laughs> End of conversation. And, you just uh, shut the whole you know, thing down. It took, it took a couple of years. <laughs> I want to hear your concerns, but you're all wrong. Yeah, right. <laughs> and we're fine. We'll go back to the vaccine question in a second. Um, and then, you know, we'd see each other in the, with all my children pretty frequently in the practice. And then one night, I, my wife's like, "Hey, the dumpster's on fire behind the practice. Office, like, you yeah. should, you should, you know." Dr. Geller, so I emailed you actually because no, I didn't have your number that, back then. Before that, you and I started, you know, we kind of, um, I mean, we all, I mean, David and I, you know, met in residency, but then I, we've, we've continued our relationship, you know, through Lexington, you know, our families, and the, of course, Temple of Moon, where we, where we belong. And that's where I, I also kind of met you a little bit through there. You were the, a little I, bit. You know, we got to know it because we, we had gone out before the, before the infamous dumpster fight. Didn't we go over to Flatbread Pizza? I think it was after. Was it after we became good friends that I way? I think afterwards, she's like, you should, you should ask. You should ask, ask Dave Dr. Out. Geller out. Like, something like that. I'm like, what? And I'm kind of like casually like, and this is not my scene, like asking out guys. Uh, did you do a whole, like, Dr. Posel? Like, <laughs> doc, I don't know what we did. I think you're like, oh, it's great. And we went to Flapper. How'd you, how'd, how'd you guys, how did Landis and Brasco get to know each uh, other? We know. I think. Uh, Through you? Well, it must, it must have been after we knew Becky. Yeah. Because, we, you know, we went to probably Tat Shabbat or Family Did you Minion. have kids at Billy Darwin? Yes. Yeah, so I think it somewhere was in the early early childhood, early, yeah. you know, early 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 services. 
once I want to like read Torah at Tachaba and you're like, I need to check and see if you can do it. I'm like, I can do it, but here you go. Oh, with Landon? <laughs> yeah, oh, was that a family minion? I remember that. Read it. I wrote <laughs> it. Yeah, that's right. I wrote the Torah. It feels like a couple lifetimes ago, all that. And, uh, five and or six of them, five right? Five or Nine six. Or ten. Even this year counts as three or four lifetimes. Um, so that's, that's the, and then we started running on Fridays, and yeah, and that was good. Yeah, and then yeah. you know we ne- we us we had never had never and we started run, podcasting. Have never run together, right? We should that. Uh, no, we ran with Cutler once, but not with Landis. I um, oh, you're right. We ran so with Cutler and Einstein Siddler, right? I thought the thing is still running. So I have to admit that's something that is still. We are, I was talking about how such a slow kid running. Yeah. I'm really uncomfortable running with other people now. Like as much as I run yeah. now and enjoy running, it yeah. still is a little uncomfortable for me. Well, I, I, I mean, I, I was not a runner. I started running slowly, you know, and, and ramped it up. And I remember when Dan and I would start running on Fridays. Yep. Like, we, those mile, we've been some good miles. And I felt like a real runner at that point. But I'd go run with you, David, like we with Cosmo. And yeah. those are some good, I mean, those are some good runs, you know. You just ran for two hours. I still, I still can't believe they're like, oh, yeah. I was out for two hours today in the trails. I was going to drop Lexington, that. You know. <laughs> I've been just show up my crazy, sandals, yeah. you know. I'm going to walk over here. I'm not even sunned. <laughs> It's all good. So you guys, so so your so your families too, like have intertwined because when you were, when um I mean Hannah, my daughter, and and um Jocelyn and David's daughters, Millie and Ruth, and of course, you know Teeny Martin. We call him Teeny. He's not Teeny anymore. I mean, they all knew you through Pro Store as right. well. I mean, you were rocking uh, it over I, there. I the great good fortune knowing I think all the collective Geller and Landi through the years of uh of their growing <laughs> up and rituals and educations judaically and i was happy to be a part of that so yeah. and you and millie had that great adventure in israel yeah, so and toronto versus sydney australia and then back <laughs> to through maine so you know on the many israel trips that i've, I've taken and led and you know as we referenced before the 2018 version which required the surprise overnight in montreal and and, and, and millie on that trip was was special and i'll never forget you know the, the you know as you know dave and dave probably also in when Millie decided to wear her, yeah, you, uh, get, you have to call. You got if you got. And when I first met Landis, I learned very quickly. He's David. I prefer it. He's David. 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 I told my parents once. You know, I prefer David uh, <laughs> to Dave. Goes well. We remember when you were fourteen and wanted to be Dave. So which is it going to be? <laughs> <laughs> Just call me the King. I'll figure, I'll, get, I'll get comfortable with something. Um, <laughs> that was a trip when Millie was uh, famously, I wouldn't say berated, but challenged on wearing the the kippah in Israel by a gentleman who thought that it was not the appropriate place for a woman. Uh, and we'll never forget sort of the, uh, the integrity and, uh, that she displayed and being like, I'm cool with it. And, and my, you know, advocacy on her behalf to these guys that couldn't conceive of why it would be possible or acceptable that mm-hmm. I would allow it. I'm like, what are you talking about? Um, so a very poignant memory for me and a powerful experience with an amazing kid. Yeah. Uh, so we've actually it. never talked about your experience. Did, did, did you speak? To, she's talked about being yeah. yelled at, um, yeah, I mean, she. I Did mean, it, it, it was not a one-time thing for right. her. I mean, she wore it around, uh, and as you both know, there are places in Israel which are which are more observant and less tolerant, mm-hmm. right, of of, uh, of sort of egalitarianism. So you know, a couple of times we we would hear things and we kind of blow it off, but we were in Akko of all places mm-hmm. or Acre, which is a majority Arab, you know, city on the coast north of Haifa, walking through the market, and uh, this old Jewish guy was like. I need to talk to you about something like, you know, why are you letting her do that? And he was trying to be like, I'm okay. Like, I'm cool. and being respectful, but he wasn't being respectful. I'm mm-hmm. like, you don't understand where she's coming. This is all in Hebrew. Like you understand what's happening. It's totally fine for me. He, but he, in his conceptual awareness of what Judaism meant, he couldn't make any space for her. Yeah. 
And I said, we're fine with it. Hmm. And I'm done with this conversation. Hmm. It was amazing. And, and I think Millie didn't really know what was happening because it was hmm. all in Hebrew. Um, but I kind of told her and she's like, no, thanks. Yeah. But it was, uh, it was amazing. Um, and I think she knew what she was in for yeah. as she did it, but dealt with it in such an incredible way and reflected on it afterwards in a way which, yeah. true to her own character, was really, you know, uh, outstanding and, and, and mature and awesome because that's the kind of kid she is. So that was great. True. Yeah, I was t- telling, um, I mean, we passed along accolades yeah. a lot. Dan and I either on this pod, these podcasts about each each other, or but <laughs> yes, the, you do, or just or, or just myself. But um, just the the impact that Dan, you yeah. know, the, you're our guest right now, David. But you know, we can talk. But the 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 impact that Dan has had on our kids' lives, right? Like when he was over at Hebrew College, absolutely. You know, I mean, I mean, Dan doesn't quite appreciate the the respect and awe um, that. Maybe awe is too strong, but but the respect, yeah, major respect that that our daughters and the kids who work with him and learn from him had for him when they saw Dan Brosco, it was a, a special thing. I remember seeing that actually at graduations, prosdor graduations. There were some kids who I knew from my practice from Newton oh, that yeah. I didn't really, you know, I never, I didn't know them of course as well as your kids and my kids, and but I saw the comfort, and um, it was. I'm going to have to think of a better word, but seeing Dan congratulate them, it was a really, uh, and their comfort uh, with you, Dan, uh, avuncular is the wrong word, but it was just because it was not, that, it wasn't that old, but it was really nice to see uh, some young men feel connected and a part of something, and uh, it was great, so mm. kudos to you. Mm. And not to and not, for my kids, of course. Yeah, as well. I mean, not, not to not to up our game, David and Dave, me. Um, but like Dan, Dan makes being Jewish cool, you know. And um, and hopefully, you know, we we're, we we're brought to our temple as well, you know. But it's like interesting that growing up, it really wasn't. You went. It was a different time, right? But yeah. but the kids get it. I mean, they're they're proud of it, you know. And, yeah. and Dan was a piece of that. Wow. I mean, Dan because Dan was a was a great role model, and a regular well, I, guy. I so. appreciate that, and uh, you know, n- nothing is harder than that work today and it only gets harder and now I'm not doing that full time like I did for 20 years um, but some of my best memories I mean now when I talk about the highlights of you know my service on school committee it's always graduation because you see the sum of all of your efforts mm-hmm. and uh, you know those graduations when you can see you know I've known these kids some of whom from when they were 11 and now they're going after college saying I was a part of that arc and uh, it's never about me it's about like are, are you happy with where you're going and, and were we helpful along the way and uh, I know for your kids I was more than happy to be, you know, a part of that process. And um, it was great. So thank you for that. Thank you. Wow, awesome. But be that as it may, as we're sitting here, as, as the calendar turns to June, doctors, <laughs> we're, we're, we're here. Uh, phase one has begun, right? We are in phase one of reopening. We should talk a little bit about what's your sense uh, in the pediatric realm of how things are going for kids and health and the public health as we look at, you know, what are we waiting for as this process continues to evolve to phase two and phase three? Because everybody wants to know who I'm working with. Like, when are we going to start opening things up? And when can we go back to work? And when can kids go to camp? And when can kids go to childcare? And what about school in the fall? So I can talk about some of that. But, like, what are you seeing when it comes to kids and, and health? Are, are, they, are they healthy? Are you seeing patients who are having, having mysterious systems that you were assuming are COVID? Like, what's, what's, what's the daily life like for you in this new... Well, people have heard me talk a lot, yeah. and I and I will chime in in a, in a bit. But you know, uh, someone who I respect highly, 
in terms of how he practices, his knowledge base, how it takes care, the ultimate care for all of his patients. Um, I'm going to defer to David to start this one off. I was wondering who you were introducing. <laughs> Dan Brosco. <laughs> There's a fourth guy walking up the driveway. <laughs> Where's Rod? Wait, no. <laughs> the, uh, so, without a doubt, when kids don't go to school and hang out, they don't get sick. There's been a dramatic drop in illness, just the routine uh, runny noses, sore throats, ear infections of, uh, in the office. So sure. the, the business has dropped dramatically. Um, and I think one of the tricky things... So over the pa- since the weather has turned nice, there was a weekend, it was probably three or four weeks ago, where the weather was nice and the kids just kind of, they went out. And even if they were socially distanced, they went out. And in that week, uh, people aren't coming into the office. We're trying to, we can talk about that later, is how we do that in the office, about trying to keep people safe but still deliver care. But you started hearing about some fevers or some rashes and stuff like that. I think one of the tricky things, um, I'll speak for myself, but... I don't know what COVID is going to look like in kids, right? Mm-hmm. I think that we were probably seeing after f- the flu was declining a little bit in the end of February, there was another cold where people didn't have the flu and they were a little tight in the chest. That may have been the start of COVID. Mm-hmm. And I just, I don't think we know. We're hearing about, as with many things in COVID, you hear about the worst of the worst, the hospitalized stuff and the things that gets people in the hospital, but the stuff that rolls through Dave's and my phones and inboxes and offices, I don't think we really know what it's going to be like to say, oh, yeah, that's COVID. Because sure. um, you don't know it when you see it, right? No. Right. Uh, the most that I know now is I start seeing things that don't fit into other categories. Sure. I make the jump to say that's COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't, you know, for strep, for example, I can tell you what a probably a false negative strep test is um, when we do it because I know what strep looks like Mm -hmm. I don't have that knowledge yet to be able to judge whether or not those tests are right or wrong Um, the best image I have for what we're trying to do is like opening up a seltzer bottle like you want to open it up a little bit so some steam gets out but it doesn't explode right like that because so we're gonna have to tolerate some illness in order to get things going a little bit but if you open it up too much, then there are going to be a lot of sickness. And remember, the goal of all the shutdown is not to keep necessarily people from being sick, but for there to be enough illness so that if whatever small percentage of people are hospitalizable, yep. that we still have the resources to do that. And let it not go without saying that, well, what I think what Dave and I do is important. Shout out to the people who are working in the hospitals and who have been having to change their roles and uh, work in really hard situations. So traffic in the office is down. Are acute injuries are down. Are people breaking less things, getting fewer stitches? Uh, yeah. Yeah, because they're th- just in their homes and not rambling around and doing sports and all that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, illness is down. I mean, we, I, before we started, I had like, two calls, and both were injuries, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, we're seeing a lot of different stuff. And the allergies now are bonkers. So Allergies are bonkers, but every- families have actually been in my a lot of families have been very diligent yep. about really staying inside yep. and that okay. kind of blows my mind yep. we were talking about having dogs earlier and running like even in quarantine having a dog makes you get out and have to run a little bit yep. so that's been a helpful thing but there are families who don't do that right yeah no i think the, I, I, do, I think there's more injuries up there um what we're seeing a lot now is uh all the the babies that are being born 
they're being sent home very early. Yep. So they're, not, they're being pushed. They're being sent home max 24 hours sometimes right. I had someone who had a C-section they usually are there for three days they were oh, out yeah. in, in 20, a little over 24 hours the mom was home the next day yeah, yeah. wow and um, she wanted to go but still it's early so we're seeing a lot of kids more often in dealing with different issues that we weren't dealing with newborns I'm, I'm removing a lot more umbilical cord clips that mm-hmm. are still on and I'm dealing with a lot more um, breastfeeding issues and, yeah. and stuff like that you know? wow. without a doubt there's a lot of there's always a lot of mental health stuff in my practice I'm sure in Dave's practice mm-hmm. as well that is um, that's the vast majority of non-well care now is mental health stuff sure yeah kids aren't you know yeah families are locked down you know they're getting great family time but but behavioral issues um, are magnified right now kids who I who need say medicine for their attentional issues are calling me and saying my medicine isn't working anymore and it had been it's because everything's different now you yeah. know or people who didn't have attentional issues or emotional issues they're really on the That's rise that's a quite great question I don't know if you know the answer you know if kids are not having to sit in class are they just not taking their meds because of the home learning they don't need to be as attentive I, s- I said to Becky the day we got locked down there are parents all around America who are now are going to find out what, what actually the medicine does yeah. and because Interesting. for most school age kids if they need medicine if they need attention medicines they take in the morning huh? they take in the morning and it's usually winding down at the end of the day yeah. um, I think that uh, I've been moving a lot of my patients who really need attention medicines a shorter acting medicine so that for the two or three hours of medicine that they have and that minimizes the side effects other time, time as well, and also, um, I mean, the kids are—they're not moving around between classes for the middle yep. schools and high schoolers. They're, they're either on a screen for most of the time. Um, they have no so interactions, no way to expend energy. You know, for the most part, it's, it's just really adding up right now for a lot of kids. And, and parents are becoming teachers. And it's one thing being a parent who's a teacher, acting like a teacher, but you you're at a disadvantage now because of you know the the learning curve of how to how to teach your kids how to how to encourage them to learn again you don't have the whole school support and interactions and and variability of a day there's a lot there's a lot going on right now i uh i talk a lot about it in the office about the old model school gets the best home gets the rest so we all know like when kids come home they fall apart yep um and when they're out of the house they're on they get to be their best selves even when school is hard they don't have to deal with the family dynamics and i wonder the effect of not having that a dose of your best better self or your non when you're not a son or a daughter or a brother or sister and uh i think because those are really hard roles and usually we're not we're almost always never our best selves with our parents and our siblings um and that's I wonder about the impact of that on kids. I'm just envisioning a land uh, a, a visit with David Landis. So, how do you feel about this um, COVID nineteen situation? Talk about a seltzer. Next question. <laughs> how do you feel about the school situation? Teachers get the best. We get the rest. Next question. <laughs> As opposed to a visit with Geller, was like, so what kind of tickets and what vacation house? So before we talk about which medicine you get, what season tickets do you have, and how can I, I get them? And, and how many times? How many times can I say the word poop in a minute? I was gonna say. Do you mind? Can we can we mind? sing? Can we do a little silly song on the way in? Um, so I think they're gonna have to open school somehow. Well, I mean, you probably both seen the, the 
the draft CDC guidelines for what that might look like. And, and you can see how those things might play out in an elementary setting when it comes to like staying in your classroom all day and having one-way hallways and eating lunch in your classroom and no specialists and no assemblies. That does not translate to schools where you're going from period to period, class to class, does not translate to having 1,200 kids in the hallways at LHS moving around for six hours. I mean, it's impossible to think about mm -hmm. how that's going to look. So it's going to take all summer to figure out how to do it in September. You know, the, the, the work has begun yeah. now on the school reopening plans, yeah. and that's sort of part and parcel of what does it look like for childcare facilities also. Like, it, it cannot be that everyone's going to be expected to open up with limited capacity and plexiglass and PPE because those places can't afford to do it. So yeah. the reason it hasn't come out yet is because there's so much challenge to overcome. And luckily, it's not our job to answer, like, how are you going to structure and give new regulations to anybody? Because it's it's really tough to see how it's going to work for everybody at once, right? What does a phased reopening look like? You know, what is when we heard about what it looked like in the emergency centers, that's not translatable yeah. to the 100,000 kids that need care. So it's really, uh, it's still really uncertain. Well, we were and talking it's about... It's still only May, right? So yeah. we have some time to figure it out. But we were talking about summer camp before. It, yeah. it seems to me that is, in some ways... Uh, opening up summer camps would be a, an ex, a helpful laboratory yeah. because if with all the time that they spend outdoors, uh, if there is then a very significant surge of illness that either moves up the, up the generations to parents and grandparents and people are were overwhelming the, ho the hospitals and people are getting more sick. I mean, I, I think everyone, I don't think you think anyone, I don't think a lot of people think kids are going to get as ill as adults have. And that is a blessing and a really good thing. But they're the ones who bring it home to parents and grandparents. And so it would seem that summer camps or maybe summer childcare facilities are an opportunity to do a dry run. And then, but, but as you say, you need to plan for it now. And maybe we don't have time to run that experiment. Well, when we spoke to Wendy Heiger-Benet months ago, right? And she had told me that winter vacation especially New England, was, was geared around giving kids a, you know, a break from being at school to yeah. decrease the flu spread. I mean, David, you, February, were, saying yeah. you were saying before about um, summer camps right. and uh, the flu epidemic, right? Right. They were, so the big overnight summer camp movement got started, uh, really took off uh, in 1918, 1919 around the great flu epidemic to get people out of the city. And indeed, winter, February vacation was originally intended to break... Uh, to break influenza spread. And we definitely see a dip in business then, right? Dip in illness, yep. which is a good thing for a few weeks, but then that comes back. So what's the plan, Brazi, with school? You're on the school committee. There's no plan. I mean, we're start, I mean what, what is Lexington doing for graduation? I mean, there's a, there's a lot. Well, I'll get back to the second. Yeah. But there's, there's a lot, I think, I mean, you're learning now. That there's so much you can do online, really. You can do a lot online. Like, oh, I, yeah. I, I personally, looking back at med school, where I would... You know, sometimes go to class and, 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 and doze off a little bit in big lecture halls. Like I would have much be rather been at home, you know, watching the professors speak um, and absorbing it that way, and probably you know, you know getting more. But but the flip side is there's so much hands-on stuff that that you need to do and want to do um, in, in you know in whatever schooling you have. I mean, my, the girls in college, right? I mean, so hey, let me challenge you. I mean, is there? Well, Jocelyn, she's an art major, right? You know, right. I mean, yeah. I mean, for art, for PE, dance, for yeah. dance, for but, shop, no, no, don't, for all no. that. But like, if you're taking you know, English, AP history, 
physics. There's a lot you can do. Other than like you, you can't can, do you experiments. You can get information, you can, but you can't have good conversations. This, this Zoom there I mean, li- I mean, I mean, in the fall, there's. I would be shocked if Lexington High School and Bedford High School are operating for all kids on a regular schedule in September. There's going to have to be like we're going to st- no, we're going to have some kids come for a couple hours, some right. couple hours. We're going to have some stuff to be online, and like my my 11th grader, like he he's working all day, mm-hmm. all day. He's up there and he's learning, and he's taking his AP test. So I mean, it's not ideal, but he's doing. It, he's making TikToks. It's, he's definitely not doing that. Um, but no, this is this is you know un- undiscovered country. We're figuring it out as we go, and I think the kids in the districts are making the most of it. The challenges you've seen in the news is that the districts are about to get hammered with budget cuts. Yep. And I mean hammered. Brookline is laying off dozens of teachers. We have to cut $1.5 million in Bedford from our budget because revenues are going to be down, and next year is going to be worse because of the delay in the recession. I'm sure Lexington is doing the same kinds of things. And these are wealthy communities. These, these, are, these, so these imagine, are communities imagine with... Imagine what's yeah. happening in communities which don't have the resources of Brookline, Lexington, and Bedford. So it's a, it's a major crisis for kids learning, for high-performing districts, for equity issues, for kids who will be doing nothing at home for six months or mm-hmm. ten months. It's a catastrophe. Yep. So... We're feeling fine about things, both educationally and you know in our space and in, in, in society. Yeah. But in places that aren't where we're living, it's really these are terrible times, and it's not getting any better anytime soon. So we'll deal with figuring out how to cut one point five million dollars from a forty-five million dollars school budget. But that's what that's is fine. It, you know? Is every department like are all the different? Is sanitation having to cut a million dollars? Oh, yeah. I mean, rec- so like, the way that we're, that we're playing it, which makes sense. I mean, in most towns around here, the schools are about half of the town operating budget. Lexington's a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. You guys fund the schools a little bit above two and a half. Um, maybe like 55% here versus 50. So I think what we're looking at is if, if overall the budget's going to have to go down by $2.5 million or three because of state aid and uh, Chapter 70 stuff, the school should absorb half of that. Hmm. Now, is that... We won't argue that out here. Yeah. Like, should that happen? It's fine. Like, I think we're happy to do it because it makes sense for the town. Um, but, it, I mean, in the end, it's up, it's up to the voters. So if you wanted to have a fight and say, we're not going to cut, we wouldn't say, well, go ahead and take it from COA. Like, that feels like the wrong thing to do. What's so, COA? Like, they, like, Council on Aging, right? So I think the right thing to do is say, yeah, like, we take half the town budget. We'll cut, you know, our share of it, and it's going to be painful. Mm-hmm. And it's both people and programming. That's That's... I think it's a, and the tough part here is that we're in the middle of a, a contract negotiation with the union, right? So that that's not fun for anybody. But that's okay. I mean, it it could be a lot worse. <laughs> it could be a lot worse. I'm looking, that's I'm cheery. Looking, I'm looking at Landis for some for some for some no quip. <laughs> Give us a line. Well, not, I mean, yeah. it, it, yeah, no, we, we can't joke about the, the no, real the real impact it's having. And this again, like we also can't joke about the fact that like. It, there's terrible things happening in this country, this is, right? Yeah. And we're sitting here in, in on, a, on a lawn being like, hey, things no, are pretty good for us. So even that, when that's, it that's stinks, it's so know? much better than for so many other people. There's, yep. it, It's really just tragic. I, what I was thinking about is there's, is there some, if you had some like FDR, great public works, like yeah. here's a time to reorganize, you know, to make a plug for my, for my, for my candidate. Like if Elizabeth Warren, like, was here to think about big structural change. Yeah. Like if you could, you've got an opportunity to build things yeah. from the bottom now, like what would it look like? If you, if you, even if you forgot about, would that be possible? You know, so I don't even know what it would look like. 
That's so Landis known for. I mean, I'm not sure what the definition of a Renaissance man exactly is, but Landis is probably in that category in Wikipedia. You know, there might be a little click click on that link and it comes to you because you you are a man of change and you're a man of forward thinking and whether it's in your, just your personal life or your practice or Temple of Muna, you have so many great ideas and yeah, that's that that's a big that's a big thing to unpack right there. That's, I mean, it's it's, thank it's, you. it's the thank question, you, right? So we're we're in a moment of crisis and of a society that's being torn apart. Mm-hmm. Some might say intentionally yep. and the divisions are being fostered. Yep. And what's the way to fix I mean not the problem of Bedford school budget who cares, but like deep rooted issues with social reproduction and and inequity and racism and housing and education and healthcare and like where where do you even start, right? And I would just allege that for generations we've been told there isn't enough money to do it. We just spent two trillion dollars and gave most of it to banks, yep. right? There's there there actually is money. There are better ways to do it. There are better ways to do it with money that we have, and there's ways to spend money. I would suggest that which would begin to address some of these deep-seated cancers that are eating away at the fabric of what makes America America. Because it's it's really it's really disheartening to see what's happening and to realize that nothing has changed and it's perhaps getting worse. So are we allowed to talk politics on this podcast? Go, I mean, we, we don't go too deep into it. But yeah, go too deep because I'm not that well-versed <laughs> at it, but you two guys. No, but so... <laughs> as a politics major. <laughs> no, 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 no. Really? Yeah, no, so I American think studies. For, let's forget about if you, if you can, how you get from here to there, yeah. but doing away with gerrymandering and sure. have the House of Representatives, you take a piece of graph paper and put it over the country yeah. and draw districts that way because yeah. they're drawn right now sure. to go towards the extremes. Sure. And... So you can play to your base, and so nothing gets done. That's on a national level. Sure. I think that would do something. That doesn't answer the question about what we do want to have done. Yeah. I mean, there's a lack of a sense of public spirit. Well, I think we, we've gone to a point where, you know, and the, you know, it's part of some people. Would, some people say America was born on this of this trait of individualism and every man for himself and achievement and merit and a meritocracy, which we could say may have been true for a long time, but is not true for everybody. So, you know, I, I would say that's not the case. And if you are born in a certain, if you're born in one segment of society, it's really hard to have vertical, you know, mobility up to upper echelons. And that's documented over time for various reasons and systemic racism and, and bias that are embedded in all kinds of structures. Yeah. So, you know, is it, bec- you know, we should certainly be for, non-gerrymandered districts doesn't help with the Senate map, right? Or the right. Electoral College or the Supreme Court or court packing or, or, or the politicization of the judici- judiciary or the weaponization of the yep. judici- judiciary, which seems to be allowed under the Constitution. And we just realized, you know, 300 years in, like, how can we fix misinterpretations and 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 and, and willful disregarding of, of what this we think this country should be like when people aren't interested in solving problems because they realize it might affect them negatively, you know? Right. So it, it was built on self-interest well understood. Sure. Like the, you're supposed to per- pursue your own interest, yep. um, but there were limits to that. Yep. And a sense of public good, that that yep. seems not to be there. And yep. I would echo everything you're saying about, again, three white guys talking about this. We yeah. the, the news today yeah. is yeah. devastating. Yeah. And it's... Um, we're making s- no progress on that front at oh, yeah. all. Just the, 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 the double speak and uh, and the and the worst exhibition of our values, I think, are just in play daily. 
never well, thought that would happen, and here we are. So. Again, as being, I think, the simplest guy in the room or on the <laughs> lawn. Because that's um, what we all say, right? Dave is a simple, simple guy. guy. Simple no, guy. No, but I don't. And 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 the the most you know eminent person aside, leading our, supposedly leading our country, I can't fathom or understand why other people who are quote unquote leaders can say speak vitriol and speak ignorantly is in my mind and they're still held up as leaders and I'm not going to name names specifically but people who are leaders in you know in the senate you know the house I mean it just I, I just I, I if someone spoke to me that way you know or, or, or spoke their supposed values to me that way in person I, I couldn't even comprehend it well the well the well so that that to me is is well, Why we, can't we, we just make the change? We say that, we but you realize that, that that attitude attracts, no matter what, forty percent of voters. Exactly. So, so that's, no, that's, but, what, no, that's how, we don't. But to me, it, it's, yeah. it's it's it's. I know there's there's you know there's gray, but you know there's black and white, you know. But but there's it's either it's, there's moral and there's not moral, right? There's right and there's wrong, and there's so much part of my language crap in between that people get away with that we would never get away with that in our lives we would ne- could never say stuff like that people say in in our in our in our home if not you know public or our work it just I, and, and to me that's the problem like why if that can't be changed and hasn't been changed that's that's it, it, i can't i can't comprehend that well you know we're, we're, we're clutching our pearls at, at what we're seeing which feels you know silly because we all kind of agree about where we're coming from and, you know yeah. it comes out to a question you used to ask kids all the time right when they're reflecting on when when they're reading, you know, from Torah and they're reading about instructions and they're reading about commandments and they're reading about ways that they're supposed to live, I say, well, why why are you why are you adhering to this particular code, right? Do you believe in actual consequences for your bad behavior? Do you believe that if you don't fast on Yom Kippur that something bad is going to happen to you? Do you believe that if you put a slice of cheese and a slice of chicken eat together that something's going to happen to you next Yom Kippur? So what holds you what holds you in line ethically and morally, right? And right now, I'm sorry, like we're living through a time when there's, there's no consequences for bad behavior. And now we're seeing Lord of the Flies. We're seeing, doesn't matter what you say, you know, there'll be no consequences for you. I'll, I'll, I'll just say it's fine. And we're, we're going to persecute our opponents and we're going to do what we want because we don't believe there's actually a moral center anywhere that we have to adhere to. And this, here we go, right? Here's why you actually got to hold someone to a standard. And uh, that may, maybe we're seeing the answer in real time. Maybe we're not. Say that last part again. Maybe we're seeing the answer now to that question in real time. Like, why be good? Because if you don't be good, like, here we are, you know? Well, and then there's the issue about the lack of shared, just shared stories, shared dialogue. We've seen the end of facts. Right. right? So we can't even agree that such and such happened. You can disagree about what what sense to make of it, but the powers that be have successfully eroded our sense of a shared story so that we can take it from there. Yeah, it's a it's it's a crazy moment. I and as you it said we are three privileged, you know, white people talking about this, and and um, and who are we to speak to? I mean, I'm, this is specifically about what's happening right now in our country, which continues to happen. Um, you know, we we live, you know, we are in here the bubble inside the bubble, as my kids would say. Um, but we always haven't been, maybe. But it's just um, it's a mess. It's a it, but I'm not talking about it, but again this 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 egregious racism i'm just talking about also like just the the where are the morals where is the respect so it's fair to me ask you guys questions so given the evidence of systemic racism and murder today coming back to being three jewish men 
um, is a conversation that my kids and I often have. Like, growing up, I was, there's that old saying, I'm not white, I'm Jewish. And in my mind, you know, in some of the be- books, um, Ta-Nehisi Coates, he talks about people who think themselves white. And I never thought myself white. I think my kids very much feel themselves white. And I'm curious what your thoughts are. And by white, I don't mean, when they say they feel themselves white, I don't mean in the sense of being racist, but are able to appreciate when they walk down the street, everyone else sees them as white. And owning or having the type of privileges that I think even to this day in my mind, when I walk down the street, I'm not so sure that I, I mean, I recognize my privilege, but saying hello to people on the street, I th- feel I have a connection that maybe I don't in the person's eyes. Yeah, this is a, this is a minefield, like Ju- Ju- Judaism and, and whiteism. Right? Mm-hmm. Is it, and I think I think we appreciate and live the privilege of, of white people in this culture, absolutely, but differently because we are Jewish, and there is a danger to being Jewish even today, even around here, which persists. Uh, and I think I think we've seen that if you scratch a little bit under the surface, you'll still find a lot of anti-Semitism and intolerance and hatred towards Jews, even in Middlesex County. Um, so it's not a full intersection of both. I really don't believe that. I know that some people do. And we have to appreciate that being Jewish is still different than being white in some fashion because it is. I think it is. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I mean, growing up, I mean, I, there's a lot of things I didn't know of, appreciate as much. Um, and hold on, and we grew up in, in, in the bubble. I know. Yeah, you yeah. did not. I exactly. mean, you grew up so, in, 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 so I just, in, on so the Androscoggin, right? So, so I just being Jewish like I, for you is very different. I just, you know? but not even Jewish, being white, you know, and, but I, I just grew up, I just grew up, you know, I'm still growing up. Um, and I think I became more aware. I mean, I've been made aware of who I am and what I am now, you know, through college, um, just through, through society as I, as I, as I learned more. Um, but, you know, and I've been educated of how, you know, just perception in the world. And I'm still learning, you know. And, um, I mean, and, you know, Jocelyn, who's at Skidmore and is a, um, you know, sociology, I think she's a sociology major or minor. <laughs> Today. She's really, you know, <laughs> teaching me too, you know. It's um, just how, about things. And it, it's, um, yeah, so I can't, I, I'm more self-aware now. I, I just think I, you know, I, I, yeah, this is, yeah, I, I just who I, was who I was growing up. I didn't really think about, yep. I mean, I, I, I was the Jewish kid in Maine. That, and that brought its pauses and more negatives at times. Right, but, but the, the difference but here that, that I want to appreciate, Dave, which I think, David, that you're getting at is, yes, you felt that difference, and yes, maybe... And this happened, like you'd be teased or someone would throw something at you because they're being jerks. But you would not suffer at the hands of the, of the police or the law yep. as a non-white person. And that is absolutely yep. the case. Like we can yep. go for a run right. around here right. and not think for a second that it might end badly. Right. Yep. And that is not the case. Any, like for, for people who aren't us, who are not white in this country, anywhere. And that's, that's the sad part, right? And I don't think that's gotten a whole lot better in some places where it, maybe it has in others. Yeah. So in that case, we are very white. Because we yes. can go around our business and not worry when we see a police car. I don't yep. make a pull for a speeding ticket, but that's probably going to be the worst of it, you know? Mm. That's a big, that's a big one. We're getting real deep here. Yeah. We're getting real, that's fine. I like it. Yeah. 
it's interesting for me to listen to my kids' conversations being involved in progressive politics sure. and partic- particularly progressive Jewish politics, yeah. being involved in um, uh, in uh, not, not if not now, but J Street U, sure. and it's. I think that's one of the challenges of yeah. this era, and this yeah. is not just in progressive politics or Jewish politics, but you know, can you ally with someone? who i mean how many degrees of separation do you need to have between someone right so if yep. you know can i sit at a meeting with someone whose sister went to the wedding of a guy who is active in palestinian rights mm. right and yep. the the i think institutional judaism has done a very bad job of this and i think you're marginalizing a lot of our college age kids because of this um well that 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 whole conversation about for the past 30 years, how we've educated, for lack of a better term, like progressive, liberal, suburban, middle, upper class Jewish kids has ended up in them dealing with Israel in a different way than we did. Yep. For sure. So how how we've taught them to be Jewish and Americans and questioning and promoting democracy and liberal values, which we all have proudly has them look at Israel and say, well, wait a minute. What about, what about that? And I, I understand that I'm never going to get to where they are. Cause for me, it's actually existential, like supporting Israel in a certain way. Um, but I, I know exactly that, that space in between that you're talking about. And I've seen it for 20 years. And you know it much more intimately than I, but I, I feel like, I, I think that, um, some of the most ardent Zionists I know yep. are progressives. Sure. And the powers that be, the, the, the people with the money and at the boardrooms, mm-hmm. um, don't see that. And frankly, I think we're not going to talk about uh, temple politics as well, but the voices of we do a great deal of service to the more conservative people sure. um, that marginalizes and excludes the younger people. And not all young people are progressive. I think I guess we have to acknowledge that as well. I mean, I mean, this is a rabbit hole. I talked myself down for a, a long time, David and Dave, about you know where you know as and as you as you do too in your roles as lead leaders. Like, where where is the landscape going to look like in the next fifteen years of you know progressive Judaism in America institutionally, mm-hmm. Zionistically, economically? What are young people doing? They're not affiliating. They're not joining. They don't feel the yep. need to. They're demonstrating their 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 spirituality and religion in, in different ways and I am too now and that's nothing I'm not and I'm not ashamed of that so that's that's the intersection I lived on I think for a long time trying to figure out how do we make it relevant so people are, are going to want to sort of make a claim on their own identity and explore it that leads to a real passion for issues which I might disagree with but still want to make space for uh, connecting that to societal issues here in America I mean and I, I made this I had this moment, I think at, it may have been after the trip I took with Millie or a previous trip when, you know, and have you been, you've been to Israel, David? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, you know, when you, when you drive up route six, the new toll road, you, you're literally, that's, a, you're so I don't know it so well, but that's up to Jerusalem. So no, so basically you're, you're if it's the, it's a toll road that goes from just south of Haifa all the way down to the desert. It bypasses mm-hmm. Tel Aviv because there's no traffic, right? You can just take this really speedy route north, south. Mm-hmm. And it goes literally like right below the, the wall between the West Bank and you can just drive by and not even think for a second about what's happening mm-hmm. a quarter mile yep. to, the, to the east. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, and you never think about it. Just so you can drive down 93 through Boston 
where you can drive through the Cross Bronx Expressway and not think for a second about what's happening and people's situations a quarter mile that way because it isn't relevant to your life. Mm-hmm. And actually, you have to appreciate both. I think that's where the kid, the kids, that's where your kids are now. That's where my kids will be like. You can't just drive blindly. You got to grapple with some of that mm-hmm. and deal with some of that because right now we're seeing what happens when you don't deal with it and pretend that it's fine. And you see it here or you just say, it's not important to me. I'm not going to try to fix it. I'm not going to spend money on it. It's not worth it. It's their problem, not mine. And then it becomes a problem like we're seeing right now in both places. Maybe. No, I <laughs> I agree with you completely. What I'm thinking about is the, the conflict in my mind always is that I very frequently would love to go see friends and eat the food and be in Israel. It is, But I open up a newspaper and the idea of spending my money there and sort of supporting and sort of being there is also challenging to me right now um, and because of their leadership. And so I hold that there is this great part there, this and even as restrictive as the religious life can be, it is still a very, very special place to be. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about what are people saying about here mm. now? Right? So yes, there are all kinds of things that are repugnant about America. The newspaper today, the clips about uh, what's happening in Minnesota, and it's a daily event, and it's just, and there's so, so much to be ashamed of. Do people also say, but we get to, is the beautiful part still there? Yep. And, you know, I love the country. It's a great place. It's harder to see. Dave Geller, bring us out of this one. No, I'm just, I'm just re- reflecting. You know, you guys are two great um, people thinking about this. These are big, these are big topics, and uh, it's awareness, you know, and I'm going back to what I said about growing up in Maine. Like, you know, we were who you were, but we, as we've grown older, we are more aware of those things around us. As our, you know, and our, our kids and society, and that's what makes us a, hopefully a, a good society. Is that we're reflecting and you know reassessing and hopefully moving toward. But yeah, it's big stuff. You know, I'm, yeah. Well, I think I think the story in both places is that most people don't like what's going on. It's true. Yeah. Like the most people in America are not happy with what's happening mm-hmm. and you in terms, see in terms you of what's see, happening like, right now the beginning of change right. people are going to come out and vote you can speculate what might happen like it all comes down to still like we live in democracy we're going to vote we hope for the good outcome and in Israel I mean for all of Israel's faults right the, the people have voted for Bibi again right he's going to be prime minister they've done it for a reason and as much as we abhor, and present company included, I used to be a big baby fan, like his policies and his attitudes and his racism and his corruption, Israel still says, you know, he's the only guy that's going to keep us safe, that will open up ties with the moderate Sunnis and Africa. Because only thing that's happened in Israel is that BBs of opponents have defined themselves just as not being BB and have not made an articulate vision to the masses about why they're better and how they'll be better at some of those existential issues for Israel, which aren't about the Palestinians or the peace process. And that's why he's winning again. So is the, does the analogy stick that... Yeah. So I agreed. Yeah. They have voted for him. Yeah. But has he been able to spin and create a reality where those existential questions yeah. are what people think about. He's, Absolutely. And I it, think it's, yes. It's a somewhat yeah. analogous yeah. to what Jim Crow and uh, the history of American racism has done, which yeah. is 
for people whose economic plights are of a part or parcel of yep. the African-American community, they've sold, well, at least I'm not black. Yep. And so it's how you formulate, have they, have they created the reality that makes their power indispensable? Absolutely. That's why he unilaterally seized the coronavirus narrative and said, I'm, I'm, right. I'm making all the announcements. Yep. I'm articulating the policy and did it really well as opposed to... And it won. Right. And, and, and it, it worked because it, it, it worked, right? to and say, I'll take seconds. Exactly right. And then, he's, and then again, you know, made a deal with, with the opposition, which everyone knows is not going to result in the opposition getting anything in 18 right. months. So, you know, he is a survivor and, uh, you know, for better, for worse. So the, but again, like, the, I used to think that Israel was here and America was here and it was just not exactly the same thing. It, it's really becoming a lot of the same kind of pathology. Thomas Friedman, call, politics, yeah. you know. Thomas Friedman calls uh, Israel the canary in America's coal mine. <laughs> something that's a loose... I've, absolutely something true. Like absolutely that. true. Um, so coming back home, yeah. Dave Goss. So Come, segways, Oh, no. Oh, quick question. <laughs> quick question. Oh, this, this, I, we don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this. We got a little political here, but let's, let's just do it. Yeah. What, what ticket is going to beat um, our friend in the White House, David oh, Landis. Oh man, just 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 you know, perfect world, perfect so, world. You could you could turn back the clock. Who could beat yeah. this fellow? Yeah, I think anyone, any of them can beat him. I actually, um, I have to admit, I'm actually optimistic uh, about a Democrat. I'm disappointed that um, amidst all the anxiety about who could win this whole electability question, um, it saddens me greatly because that was pretty much a, a misogynist question yep. um, and I personally am struggling now to get excited again about Joe Biden like if you remember Joe Biden eight years ago everyone loved Joe Biden right he was um, and so I mean I, I think his heart is in a, in a good place um, I I'm still really torn about whether or not I think Elizabeth Warren should be vice president. I think she would do a great job. I think that all the ideas that I want to have in being sold are her more or less her ideas, maybe tempered by some of the centrism and pract practicality of of uh, a moderate like Biden. Um, I'm, but, I'm going with but, electability. Uh, electability. This, electability. This like I, I don't think the vice president matters for electability. All right. Raj, I, I, I ask you, I, should we move I on? I generally agree with you, uh, David. I would just say that, I mean, for some people, Elizabeth Warren is a third rail. Yep. Yep. And that's dangerous, right? And listen, I think she's great. I think she's a great senator. Yep. I think it would be a mistake. Who do you think would be the so who, I mean, my, my, my candidate choice was Kamala Harris. Yeah. She's yeah. my favorite. You know, I mean, for president. Yeah. For president, right? I thought I, she'd be fabulous, right? So you know what? I'd like to see her, but if not, then she could be the attorney general, right? Right. I thought Cory Brooke would be a great president. And like, Biden's fine. Anybody else is sorry. Sorry, anybody else is fine, and the VP is kind of doesn't matter. But I think for some people, they're going to see Elizabeth Warren and they're going to say Hillary and they're going to say no. So I, I I'm sorry, I, like, I, I don't disagree. That I way, don't disagree you know? with you, and I would love to see yeah. as a lot of, um, in my family, a lot of people think that uh, Elizabeth Warren should stay in the Senate, maybe even run for Senate Majority Leader, but do a lot of powerful work there and not vacate the seat that Charlie Bar Baker could fill with the Republican. But the, uh, I would like to see Biden start looking forward. I think we're going to have to run around against Trump but start talking about what his vision is for how to rebuild America and start looking more forward. And I think that's what people are hungry. I think he's being a very good... He's probably being a good candidate now by being... By being quiet, yeah. By being <laughs> quiet and let Trump dig his own grave. 
but I don't think he's being a very good leader because I think people are hungry for someone creating a vision and talking about how to move forward. All right, so these these podcasts are usually really light and airy. Sorry, guys. Landis has, well, there's plenty of air today. Landis <laughs> has matured. <laughs> so we, so <laughs> we want to go back to this talking brisket. Yeah, Landis, so sometimes, sometimes when I see Dave Landis, I think I, I refer to him as Grandpa Joe from... Um, from um, Willy Wonka, just be, but more because of the, that hat you just walked up wearing, yeah. right? That little. <laughs> Do you remember the first time we went to Walden Pond together? I, we, I just, we just went to Walden Pond yesterday, but remind me. So <laughs> I think Dave Lynch remembers. When, when I met Dave, <laughs> we had flowers in our hair. No, no, no I met Dave Geller. <laughs> uh, yeah, so one, I grew up one going, piece man bathing suits. I grew up going to camp in Maine, and Maine was like my holy land. Forget about Israel. Maine was my like. You were from away. Space. I was from away, and best months of my year were in Maine. Adelaide's a place I met Dave Geller He's from Maine Ooh that was great And so at that time I was loving going In residency I would t- At a post call I would go to Walden Pond And I spun all these Fantasies about How it was like the, the great lakes And ponds in Maine And so One day post call We went out to oh Walden Pond And he's like yeah, it's it's a pond. It's a pond. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's the big deal? Yeah. It's like <laughs> burst my bubble big. Yeah, it's like you know, all kind of crammed on this little shore. It's like a little like like st- like stale water in front of us. It just didn't get me going. Yeah. But we were there yesterday, and I was actually just talking to Jen about that because it was a nice day out there. Of course, it was you know it was like the anniversary four, yesterday. It was, but it was like forty people out there. But you know, but Jen went swimming. She you know put a yeah. wetsuit on. And of course she did. That yeah. place, that place, have, that place is like crazy, right? It's like around the perimeter. She was saying it's twenty feet. It's like a hundred feet deep oh, in the middle. It goes deep, real. Yeah, and there's yeah. some bodies down there. Yeah. <laughs> there's some bodies Last down one. there. People, to- people are uh, swimming with these big orange buoys on their back. You know, in case they go down there, you can find them. It's scary. Well, as you both know, I'm, we're hiking around lots of water this Corona occasion. So uh, I've been sampling a bunch of sort of along the shore hikes and walks, etc. So I mean, Walden's fine, but. It's not like a top ten hiking destination, you know. When it comes to it is, terrain, right. it's a, it, the, the sentimental historical value is yeah. wonderful. But I mean, if you walk across the street and conquer, there's other places you can hike which are Better really to special hike. and interesting. So it is great to be in good fresh water, twenty minutes from from All Mass true. General. Have you sw- have you swam out there in Park in uh, Walden? Yeah. Not this year, but you know, in your life. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So we actually we, we did some rule breaking when we hiked in Walden on Memorial Day You'll with like a dog. Rule breaking. Ooh, we um. You know, just across the tracks from Walden Pond is Concord Carlisle High School. If you know that, yes. So we parked at CCHS where it says no Walden Pond Park, but like no one, no one's there. And we sort of walked along the CC cross country track and then down the train tracks along the side and into Walden the back way. Um, that was a nice little ramble there on Memorial Day. So, so, so when did you break the rules? We can't park at CCHS oh, and walk to Walden, and we did so, take that. Man, you're a bad man. Bad yeah, man. we're wicked bad over there. I'm still working on my taxes rules. from 2017. My <laughs> you know? my only <laughs> encounter with the federal judiciary came as a result of uh, canoeing around there. You're kidding. No. So uh, it was after <laughs> Millie was born. Park Rangers grabbed you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was November. It was like the first date we had. It was on our anniversary. The first date Becky and I had after our second daughter Millie was born. It was a windy, terrible day. We went canoeing. Yeah. I was like a canoe counselor. We had the PFDs in the boat. Yeah, yeah. And this guy pulls down. We're going under one of the underpasses in like the Sudbury River, the Concord yeah. River. And he says, come over here. Where are your PFDs in the car? He said, you didn't see the sign. After November 1st, you have to have them on. And he gave us tickets. Whoa. You got sighted. Got, got sighted. And... Uh, was it, on, was it a, a police officer? It was a park ranger. It was a national park ranger. And... Uh, so, first of all, he gave me a ticket, but he didn't give Becky a obviously, ticket. Obviously. And to this day, that irks her at the sexism implicit in that. But, you know, like, he saw our car, you know, with the two little baby seat, car seats, and we're, like, big, 
you know, criminals. But anyways, That's classic. so I took this citation and put it in my glove compartment and told the story lots and figured out, oh, you know, it's worth, but I never paid the, the, the fine. There's a warrant out I forgot. <laughs> so then I get a, a, a federal warrant to a federal, is that like citation to yeah, show yeah. up in court. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going up the river. And I'm going up the river for not wearing a PFD. On the river. <laughs> on the river. And I'm like, I'm on all these forms that we're going to have to fill out now about, uh, you know, have you ever been convicted, convicted of a, a federal crime? crime? Federal I'm not going to get my medical license. So yeah. I put on my best suit and tie and go to the, the courthouse in Concord. And uh, there, all the other people there are have been arrested by this guy, cited by this one person That's for walking guy. in in Walden without with their dogs off leash uh, and we're all getting nervous there yeah, yeah. yeah and um, so I'm sweating bullets and then the court clerk comes out and goes the judges had a family emergency so you have an option you can pay the fine or come back and have court another day I'm like here's my money goodbye thank you very much see you later <laughs> that was great this so, is a good so after do we, if we have time so after um I think I think after either Hannah, jeez, I can't remember. Either Hannah or Jocelyn were born. Jocelyn and Maddie, your daughters. Yeah, those are my daughters. Thank you very much. But Jen was, I think she, it was Hannah was in the car. She was going to see someone, like do some home physical therapy on someone, and she was driving the car through either Wayland or Maynard. I won't say the exact town. And of course, it, we just had a baby. We were busy. I must have forgot to get the car inspected, and she got pulled got pulled over by it must have been Hannah. In the car as a baby, she got pulled over by a police officer because her taillight was out. He pulled her over, license and registration, registration is expired. He impounds the car. He brings her to the police station. Get out. She has a baby in the back. <laughs> the car's been impounded. She calls me distraught. I'm at work. I need to ride home. Like you're kidding me. So I had to go to the, st- the station, get Jen and Hannah, bring them home. We had to go, you know, bail out the car the next day, and then she and she had a, she had a citation. So that as David seems a little unnecessary. Yeah, yeah. So as David as David said, you know, I, may, I I I I always remind myself who I who I know through the office, and there was a, a police officer. <laughs> He's got a Rolodex. I would there was love a police to see officer from, from that from that He's locality. Like Godfather. I and he a said, problem Let me make a call. You can help me with. He said, Let me make a call. So he said, I spoke to the to the judge, whatever he said, or the or the bailiff, whatever he says, you need to go. You need to go. You know, the day of your court date. And they they know that you're coming in, and just go and you know say you know just apologize, and you'll be all set, or something like that. So she goes she goes to the court to the courthouse, and there's like you know 20 people in the in the in the room waiting to go in. And she's got Hannah with her in the in the, in the baby carriage, and you know everybody's waiting. She doesn't know when she's gonna get called, and it's, you know the the the, the, the clock strikes strikes nine, whatever, and they they walk on. They say Jennifer Geller. You're, you're in, and she's like, "Wow, I'm first. That's great." She walks in with Hannah, in the, you know, the, Hannah in, in the in the uh, car seat. Walks in, and like five, and you know, she says what she's supposed to say. They say, "Okay, yeah, uh, we'll dismiss this. You you can leave." And then she, and she walks out with Hannah, you know, like within like five minutes. And somebody said, "Hey, can we borrow the baby?" Because <laughs> <laughs> it obviously worked, but it wasn't. That's excellent. Yes, um, I, I have no, I have no good stories like that guy. Sorry, I guess I'm just a law-abiding citizen. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a good one, David. Well, wow. we, should, we should go around and tell other stories. But about well, you know, we've had a, what a I'm mentally exhausted from these gymnastics I've been doing over here, trying to keep up with Landis. Well, He's keep up with you guys. This wow. is great. This is an honor to be amongst you know two of I, wow. I, a list of my two great friends in the same place. It's nice. It is like crossing the streams for you. A little 
pause there as we as, okay. we, as, we, as we process this. Letting it sink in. I'm going to go home and uh, I'm going to go back inside and, and Google, you know, um, politics and whatnot so I can be better better suited next <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, no, that was a dark turn. Yeah. But I think we went there on purpose, I guess. Yeah. So that's okay. No, um, it's an honor to be here Not for everyone to be confused, of course. We all, you know, we love this country. Absolutely. We love, <laughs> we love our families and our communities. We want the best. Hugh, God bless America. These are three guys talking. We represent only our own worldviews. And I'm usually wrong. So um, that's my humble assertion. What do today. we know, right? What, but what, what, what do we do, know, right? Do we know? Do we know? About this, I know a little bit. And I can pretend about a lot. So that being said, as the sun goes down below the horizon to the west, we wish everybody a wonderful rest of the weekend. <laughs> I think Dave Geller we just a, remi- a few hours. A reminder, <laughs> a reminder that we need to do some more podcasting. I think we, had, we I think we, like I think you know we have these wonderful gaps guests recently. on. Um, and we have to, I think I'm always saying we should do it again with with these with with um, some of them. You included, David. So hopefully, well, it's an honor to be here. I'm glad you guys are doing this. It's fun. Next time do, we'll have some pre-reading guidelines when Landis comes on to make no, sure that we're no, fully no. versed in the, in the Hobbes and Locke I, and Rousseau and some social contracts of the world. I got nothing left. That's all I have. It's the only thing I have. But, you know, I think we'll be looking at the, at the next few weeks as being really important for everybody, you know, yeah. for, for doctors, for teachers, for schools, for families looking to go back to work and trying to see what, if anything, will the, will the data show us? What does the governor look for when he gives us guidelines? Um, yeah. And then, you know, take a couple weeks at a time. So yeah, it's still doing. only May, which is crazy. Yeah, keep doing your work, Dan, and, and, and move us forward. I'd love to be doing some more work, you know. <laughs> so there we go. Yeah. Um, so that being said, uh, another shout out, of course. Thank you, Lex Media, for helping us out with the podcast, and Julia Manugian for producing, and Joey Friedman. Hope we'll have him well, on one hope day. you're doing well in quarantine in New York City, my friend. Uh, hopefully, have you on soon and talk more about your music and creative work. And congratulations also to the Gellers, to Dave and Jen on their anniversary. You're here. And to Hannah on her graduation from Skidmore. And so, welcome Ruth, to the real world, Landis. young lady. Ruth Landis graduated in, from? Impending graduation from the University of Chicago. Very good. I can't believe that they're both that old. Yeah. I remember when they went off to school a couple of years ago. Yeah. Amazing. So that being said, have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Dan. Thank you. What Do We Know is written by Dan Broskel and Dave Geller and produced by Julie Manugian at Lex Media in Lexington, Massachusetts. Our theme music is written by Joey Freeman Joey's work can be found on SoundCloud and Spotify. See you next time.